G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. You might have a question, a comment or an insight to offer, but a very significant international crisis is underway. The eyes of the whole world are on the nation of Israel right now after the Hamas attacks over the weekend. The offensive began before dawn on Saturday morning and most Israelis at that point were asleep. The coordinated attack appeared to be under the radar of Israel's extensive intelligence apparatus. As many as 5,000 rockets rained down on Israel, and of course numbers change, uh, but as many as 600 Israelis reportedly dead, and Israel's cabinet has officially approved a declaration of war. The Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, has said they'll prepare for a long and difficult conflict. So how do we make sense of the conflict as Australians and as Christian believers? Well, we're back today with one of our favourite commentators, authors, Bible teachers and futurists, Dr. Camille Majdali, who leads Teach All Nations. He's just on the tail end of the Understanding the Times tour here in Australia and our privilege to be talking to him today from Perth in Western Australia. Camille, welcome along to 2020. Good morning, Neil, and good morning, Australia. Camille, no doubt we'll talk some more about the the tour, the Understanding the Times tour, but uh, let's get a focus. Uh, This, in some sense, took the whole world by surprise and... Uh, in some sense here, a little bit unusual that it doesn't t- that it took the Israelis by surprise. What were your impressions when this news began to break on the weekend? In one sense, I wasn't surprised at all. Uh, the only thing that surprised me was the extent of the invasion, Neil, because in times gone by, the invasion out of Gaza or the infiltration out of Gaza would be through a tunnel they would dig under the border or rockets they would fire over the fence. But this was a proper invasion. It happened by land, it happened by sea, it happened by air, in this case, hang gliders over the border. And so I'm not surprised that there was something going on because there had been rumblings throughout the year 2023 a lot of rumblings and a lot of disquiet and not just between israel and her enemies but even israel within israel with the protests that had been going on for months and months and months put aside the reasons for the protests good or bad it was sending the wrong message to Israel's enemies, that Israel is divided and distracted. And that's why I wasn't personally surprised that there was an attack. It's just the extent of it. And, of course, the barbarism of it. We're now being told there's videos on social media of what they're doing to captured Israelis in the streets of Gaza. 
apparently very hideous, unspeakably atrocious, but in one sense not surprising if you know the whole background of the Middle East conflict. But yeah, I wasn't actually that surprised except to the extent of the invasion. We want to talk a bit about background, uh, but I'm just uh, feeling as though, Camille, it might be very good for listeners to know a little of your own personal uh, heritage and ancestry here, because when we come to talk about the Israel-Palestinian conflict, uh, give us a little, in a nutshell, uh, your own uh, personal ancestry when it comes to uh, that part of the world. Okay, that's a good question. My father was born in Jerusalem during the time of the British Mandate. My mother's family's from Lebanon. They met and married in Los Angeles. And so I, for all practical purposes, am an Arab American. I knew nothing about the Middle East conflict growing up. I am grateful to say I didn't grow up in an anti-Semitic household, even though it was an Arab household, my father had a lot of respect for Jewish people who he grew up with in the old city of Jerusalem. But at the same time, I knew nothing until I was 14 years old, did a research paper, and thought I had discovered the secret of the Israeli-Arab conflict. But it took waiting on God as a 21-year-old given over to service of God, and I said, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And God led me, of all places, to Israel, the last place I ever thought I would go. And I ended up there for nearly five years, where everything changed for me. But the good thing about the experience, there's a lot of good things, but I got to meet people on both sides of the fence, talk to them, hear their stories, piece things together, and basically, I try to see it all from a biblical Christian paradigm, because that's my identity above everything else. And so I have extensive contacts in the country. Of course, I lead Holy Land tours. I'm on a board of a particular Christian organization that's doing a wonderful work among the churches. Yeah, so that, that's my background in a nutshell. And it gives wonderful context to be able to speak into what is happening in Israel today. Uh, one of the things we'll be hearing in mainstream media is that it happened on a holiday or a holy day. I wonder if you've got thoughts, because it seems to be mainstream media doesn't give you any detail about what that holy day or that holiday was all about. Uh, the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. Uh, give us your insights here and uh, whether you think there is significance as to the timing of the uh, the Hamas invasion. Well, you, you've covered everything, Neil, in one sense. I'm not sure I have anything to say, but no, I do. I do. The High Holy Day was Simchat Torah, rejoicing in the law. This is after the Feast of Tabernacles and all the other things associated with this time of year. But Simchat Torah, rejoicing in the law. And I actually remember years ago, going with two Christian friends in the old city of Jerusalem. It was dark. Nobody was in the streets except the cats. But there was a synagogue, and it was well lit, and there was a sound of jubilation. And it was Simchat Torah. 
and there was an usher. He could have been like an usher in any American church, but he was uh, Israeli Jewish. And he said, welcome to the synagogue. You may be wondering why I have, I'm in a synagogue that is rejoicing and singing in the middle of the night, and it would go on all night. And I said, yes, I'd be very curious to know why you're singing and rejoicing when nobody else is out in the streets. And he said, we are so blessed that God gave Moshe or Moses the law. We cannot help to rejoice. And I was very challenged by that because he seemed to have more joy in Moses than most Christians have in Jesus. And Paul says in Romans 11, we're supposed to provoke them to jealousy. But I would dare say on that night, it would have been the other way around. The Yom Kippur War of 1973 could have almost been Armageddon at the doorstep. October 6, 1973, with a massive invasion from Syria and from Egypt. It, it's very dramatic stuff. Nixon called an international military alert. He was the president at that time. He gave Golda Meir all the weapons she wanted because she hinted that they might go nuclear if worse came to worse, because even in 73, Israel had nuclear weapons. And that was a big deal. And now you have another big deal. One day after the 50th anniversary of this war. So yes, I do. Whether that was planned to be on that particular day, it's amazing coincidence at the very least. But remember, in the Middle East, memories are long and strong and symbolic. And the fact is, both 1973 and 2023 happened on a holiday when Israel is at rest, or Israel is in the synagogue, or Israel is not in its normal duty because it's a holy day. And that's when they chose Hamas to strike. The fact that the Israelis were caught by surprise uh, is a surprise to many here, Camille. Uh, an intelligence failure and uh, the thought that, you know, maybe heads will roll over who missed uh, the signs that this was coming. Uh, but when there is an intelligence failure like this, it puts a whole nation at risk. Uh, there's been all sorts of conflict and tension in Israel in the lead up to this uh, over all sorts of other issues. Has there been, do you think, a contribution in some of the divisions within Israel itself that might have contributed to uh, an intelligence failure here? Possibly, Neil, possibly. But as I said, this, what's surprising is this is happening under Netanyahu's watch, who is renowned for being Mr. Security and counter-terrorist expert and, in a sense, Mr. Tough Guy. How, how it would happen under his leadership is rather puzzling, to say the least, at least in the traditional Netanyahu, or at least, or at least the image of Netanyahu we had of him. He is... A strong leader, he's a complex man, uh, faced a lot of opposition all year round. And so we're not sure what to make of it. And I know in 73, after that war, heads did definitely roll. But I think at the moment, they've just started the war, they've just declared the war. So I, I would suspect that recrimination against those who have failed is going to be put 
on the back burner while they focus on trying to win a war. Camille, let's come back to a biblical, spiritual sense. And when you describe what happened back in 1973 as something that could have been like a trigger for Armageddon, the sorts of imagery that we might read from the Bible, um, a lot of people are watching what's happening right now and saying, could this be something that is triggering those biblical prophetic events that we're aware of that describe end times? What are your thoughts around uh, people and the way they might be thinking and developing their thoughts around this invasion? Well, first of all, whenever there's a crisis, it's always appropriate to look to God and his word for any possible insight to what we're facing. That's why we have an Understanding the Times tour. (laughs) We want people to understand what's happening so they can know what they need to do, like the sons of Issachar. One of the things that Jesus makes very clear, and he speaks about last day events culminating in his return to planet Earth, is we are to be watching and praying. You can't be praying intelligently enough if you don't know what's going on and especially watching with a biblical worldview in mind and so of course part of that watching has to do with signs of the times wars and rumors of wars and that's of course being fulfilled before our eyes right now wars and rumors of wars but see that you're not troubled the end is not yet So we do need to be watching, but we also need what I call Holy Spirit discernment to what is actually happening. And look, it could morph into a bigger war. That's the the concern, because there has been consultation between Hamas in Gaza and Hezbollah in Lebanon. And of course, no doubt, Iran is the one with the finger in the pie. So they, it could morph, but it just depends. I don't know if even Hezbollah has made a decision on an all-out war. That it's probably more of a wait-and-see thing. But as far as Bible prophecy is concerned, I think God wants his people to be watching, waiting, discerning, and, of course, praying. And I do, Neil, more than ever, believe in the power of prayer. More than ever, all my Christian life, I believed in the power of prayer. But I now, in this juncture, this moment, I see that we can make a difference in the heavenlies by prayer. And I urge all Christians informed and concerned to join me in prayer and join many others at this critical hour. Camille, one of the things that perhaps could be happening, and I'll get your thoughts here, is that when something like this, an invasion happens, there's a taking of sides. And even while there are some Arab states that may have been becoming more friendly towards Israel, there's a risk that that friendship may be fractured. Any thoughts here around the sort of divide that comes when there is an invasion like this? Well, traditionally, when there has been conflict between Israel and an Arab entity, be it Palestine Authority or Hamas or anything, there usually is solid Arab support, monolithic Arab support for the Arab side against Israel. 
That, of course, is changing. And I'm not sure all the reasons why, but this is a conflict that's been going on in one sense in its modern incarnation for the last hundred years, and especially intense in the last 75 since Israel was recreated. So yes, for example, the United Arab Emirates, who has a peace treaty with Israel, and as I understand it, even now has Emirate flights to Tel Aviv, has sided with Israel solidly. I think Saudi Arabia, who may be a trigger in part for this invasion because it's seeking normalization with Israel or open to normalization, has condemned the violence here. And yeah, the Arab world is not that united, even though they are part of the Arab League. But I would say that fissures between the Arab world will be exacerbated by what's happened here. Syria and Lebanon will, of course, continue to side in the anti-Israel camp. And the others, Jordan and Egypt, they... uh, I don't think they want to endanger their peace treaties with Israel at this time, if at all. So, yeah, it's it's not, it's it's an ever-changing scene in the Arab world, sort of like the sands of Arabia shifting in the wind. I see that, that we're having a shifting as well, and it's something to, to watch and to pray about, especially in Psalm 83 scenario, Psalm 83 which may not have happened yet, but it could. Okay, let me just ask you uh, about the thought, and uh, I know that some listeners might have been hearing some uh, commentary around the thought that it may be a form of a proxy war uh, where there's funding by foreign powers, and while what's going on with the conflict between Hamas and the Israelis uh, may actually be having backers from way beyond Uh, that local territory. Any thoughts here around uh, the idea of a proxy war? And isn't that even something that might even be uh, in in, in line with a a biblical view of what happens in end times in the Middle East? Well, proxy war is the order of the day when it comes to Iran. Iran is actually far more pragmatic than people realize. And they want to have hegemony in the Middle East because they have been a great civilizational state in the past. But rather than get their own hands stained with blood, they use their proxies, like Hamas or Hezbollah or the Houthis in Yemen. And that's how they operate. But it's not just Iran. There has been a lot of foreign interference (laughs) in Israel's domestic affairs, especially with these judicial reform protests that have been going on most of the year, which have the appearance of grassroots, but are funded by foreign powers and by the strong labor unions in Israel itself. But uh, I think when the Biden administration gave $6 billion to Iran recently, as I don't know, maybe part of the nuclear agreement that has been resuscitated. That was actually a green light, as far as most people are concerned, that know anything about it. That And so Iran gave the wink and the nod to Hamas to do what it's done. That's 
what the conventional wisdom shows, and it's probably a plausible interpretation. So, and it's not just, as I said, Iran. The United States and the European Union have their vested interests too, not always in Israel's best interests. So it's something we need to be aware of. There are, <laughs> let's put it this way, Israel's in the center of the world. It's the it's the center of the landmass, the navel between Africa and Eurasia. And it's always been, in a sense, the rope in a geopolitical tug of war in antiquity, in more modern times, and I guess the same applies today. One of those moments where we might pause and reflect here for just a moment, because as you say, uh, money in the form of $6 billion, uh, which is given from the US to Iran, no doubt not given for the purpose of uh, running a proxy war uh, through uh, Israel and the Palestinians, but certainly money that is given does free up further funds that Iran may well have been able to to uh, forward into uh, the support of its allies, and perhaps this is Hamas and even Hezbollah in the north. Uh, any thoughts here around the USA giving money to Iran, uh, right or wrong, and uh, and how we can look at that as Christian believers, wondering uh, who's supporting who? Foreign policy other other countries is... Uh, murky affair because what we are being told is not necessarily what is actually happening uh, you know fake news disinformation misinformation well when it comes to war that's always been an issue apparently in in history as well as today so the point is money was given to Iran during the Obama years for the nuclear program and the nuclear agreement and now it's happened again in this administration and it's it's just funny but maybe it's a coincidence but it's probably not that there has been unrest and even skirmishes between israel and say hamas in those years particularly in 2008 29 2012 2014 and then we had a hiatus until now from 2014 to this point and so i look there probably is a very big correlation between money given to iran and what we're seeing today i do recall reading a quote from the supreme leader ali khamenei just recently about the money and he says we can spend the money however we like and so that in itself Tells a lot. Carmen is in Melbourne. Hello, Carmen. Welcome. Hi. Uh, hello. Carmen, turn your radio down in the background, and you need to be very quick. What are your thoughts? Going in the other room. Hello. Carmen, you need to be very quick. What are your thoughts? My thoughts is what the Lord be giving me for a year. Very strong in my heart. And I get it about three, four times a day. Very strong, the Lord is speaking to me. The world has seen a great light. God has visited his people. 
Okay. The world has seen a great light. God has visited his people. I think we're reflecting back to an incarnation here. A very quick response here from Camille. Well, Neil, I'm in agreement with you. It sounds like the incarnation of Christ, or at the very least, when Christ moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, the, the land that was, dwelt in darkness has seen a great light. So the only other great light I think we can see is Bible prophecy today and the coming of Christ tomorrow. Those are the great lights I'm looking for. I want to thank Carmen from Melbourne for her insight today and continuing after Vision National News. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Camille, as we reflect on this, uh, no doubt the Jewish people are deeply reflective too and this is one of the most significant times of loss of life that they have seen in a very, very long time. Well, indeed it is, and I was a little startled to see a headline from the Jerusalem Post asking the question, was the 7th of October 2023 the bloodiest day for the Jewish people since the Holocaust? That is a very profound thought. Holocaust, shall we say, the shadow and the glue and the raison d'etre for the state of Israel, a place where Jews <laughs> are not a minority and therefore at the mercy of the Gentile majority, but where they are running a country of their own, where they can be protected in ways that they were totally left vulnerable during the time of the Holocaust. It is a, it's a red-button hot issue. But let me just say, 700 people were murdered on that day. Let me give some perspective. In 2006, 17 years ago, there was the Second Lebanon War in Israel, known as the July War in Lebanon, which was basically a war between Israel and Hezbollah. 140 Israelis died in that conflict, approximately. And that was a 34-day period. In the 1948 war, which is known as Israel's War of Independence, 6,000 Jews died. And that was 1% of the population, which was a very frightfully high price to pay. But this was over a period of many months. Put that in perspective to what we saw on the 7th of October, 2023. And one gets the message that even in a Jewish state, <laughs> They're not necessarily protected as they should be. And so I, I think that they'll be pondering this for a while, Neil, for a long while. More to come as we reflect on the things that have happened over this weekend. Uh, taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's take another call. Jenny is in Rockhampton in Queensland. Hi, Jenny. Welcome along. Oh, hello, Neil. Hello, Camille. Um, I have a question for you both. I'm just wondering how um, how it is that our national broadcaster this morning was was going to interview a Hamas spokesman. How should I um, respond to that? I, I felt quite upset at the time because I thought, you know, they're getting um, because they've killed all these civilians, they're getting uh, airwave time, you know, in Australia. Um, is it, well, how do you feel about that? 
Camille. Well, I guess, look, in theory, there's merit in interviewing Hamas because they are, of course, a protagonist of this whole thing, to hear what they have to say. I'm still old-fashioned enough to believe in hearing both sides to a story and knowing that if one side is thoroughly wrong, they can be countered in the public square, in an interview, in a debate, or something of that sort. I once, I don't watch the ABC very much at all, but I do remember once they did an interview with somebody like Hamas. I can't even remember who it was, but it was on the anti-Israel front. And that particular interview was pretty good at skewering the, the person who was saying the normal propaganda tips. And she, she fired back at him again and again and again. And so if, if the interviewer is very sympathetic or subjective, with Hamas, that would be, of course, a concern. But if they're doing a proper journalistic interview, then I don't think that should be a, an issue. We, it'd be good to hear from them. And of course, if they're saying things we don't like, there are means of making our voices heard. So hopefully we still have freedom of speech around here. Jenny, uh, your feelings uh, to that response? Um, yes, I, I can see, I, I do, I, I'm, I'm very much in favour of freedom of speech. I, I just think it's sad that um, uh, a terrorist organisation gets to promote their... Um, but I guess, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, just, I just felt it was on the backs of all these people who had been killed that they were making good use of that, you know, that they were going to get a voice. Hmm. Yeah. Jenny, thank you so much for a very good insight today. And, uh, of course, that reminder that uh, when you've got the national broadcaster uh, and uh, the opportunity that they have uh, in a certain sense of uh, freedom of speech to be able to interview the terrorists, uh, then, uh, of course, you hope that there will be a, a significant showing for where the Prime Minister has uh, put Australia uh, right there on the side of Israel in some level of solidarity. Uh, Camille, what's coming over the days ahead, no doubt, is a significant propaganda war. This follows these sorts of events that happen in Israel. What are you thinking we ought to anticipate so far as uh, the taking of sides and those who have a certain sentimentality for uh, the Palestinian people who are led by Hamas? Any thoughts here? Look, uh, I'm not exactly sure how we should respond because this is a war with an unknown, how should I say, conclusion. There's, of course, the Israelis say that they will win the war. And they do have a formidable military machine. And it appears that they will be united despite their divisions that they've had all year round, in fact, for some years now. It appears they may be uniting. If they unite and they unleash their full barrage of weaponry, then yes, you would think they would win. But even so, at what price? What price for the people of Gaza? What price for the people of Israel? And also, there's the unknown element. What is Hezbollah going to do? Because Israel was attacked from the south. 
Hezbollah is in the north. And so, in a sense, Israel could be sandwiched. Hezbollah will, of course, think two or three times because, before launching an all-out war because they, they know Israel has learned a few lessons in the last 17 years. And God forbid that it would result in the destruction of the nation of Lebanon. After all, I have relatives on both sides of the fence. I don't want to see this thing carry on. But we just have to be diligent in being informed. At the same time, let's unleash the most powerful arsenal we've got as believers, and that is the weapon of prayer. We are good soldiers of Christ, but we're not fighting people. God loves people. They're made in his image. We're fighting principalities, powers, and sources of wickedness in high places. What a time to mobilize in prayer for everybody, for the goodwill and welfare of the people of the Middle East. Let's take another call. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316. Sue is in Kingston in Tasmania. Hi, Sue. Welcome. Hello, Neil, and hello, Camille. Um, like everyone, you know, I, I just my heart breaks as to what's going on in Israel. But uh, your earlier listener said, um, I have seen a great light, or raised that quote. And it set me thinking about what's written in the Quran and the fact that we must proclaim Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, and the only hope for the world. And in Surah 28, it says, Say to them, O Muhammad, then bring a book from Allah, God, which is a better guide than these two, the Torah and the Quran, that I may follow it if you are truthful. Now, that verse, that in the Quran, is a challenge for us to say, well, there is a more truthful um, book, and it's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And that... Um, being the case, one would surely think that the Pope and the head of the uh, Church of England and the United Nations and the Jewish leaders would surely start working together to bring about the solutions that must be through Jesus. A very interesting point you're making here, Sue. Camille, uh, thoughts here on Jesus and uh, the centre of where perhaps certainly the leaders of our Christian denominations around the world uh, ought to be working in a situation like this. Uh, thoughts here for Sue? Well, I'll do my best because I'm still wrapping my head around the quotes that she's just given. Anyway, good morning to you, Sue, as any case. I would just say that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he is both a source of great division. He actually said, I've come to give division, but at the same time, for those who believe, he is the source of phenomenal unity. And in that unity, there is great strength, great anointing, great enablement to do all kinds of things that were not possible pre-unification or pre-unity and therefore I would say in a crisis like this in fact in any crisis and for that matter in any day even when it's not with a great crisis we should be drawing close to God because God is building his kingdom 
his kingdom is coming, his will will be done, and it will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's a war like this that can draw people together, forgetting their differences and uniting in prayer, and then, of course, in whatever action the Holy Spirit leads us to as a result of that prayer, to helping make this a better world. I often think that God in this context uses ordinary people at the grassroots to make that difference we can look to church leaders and pray for them and all that but sometimes the people can actually be ahead of the church leaders and in that case we need to ultimately we're following the lord anyway so was that a helpful response Yes, I think it reinforces the fact that we really do need to pray more and just trust that God is still in control of the world. So thank you very much, Camille. Thank Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Sue. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. It does bring to light the fact, Camille, that there is a lot of religious dimension to what happens in a war like this And uh, there are religious perspectives on both sides. And then here we are as Christians uh, thinking through the issues from a Christian dimension. It does give us some sort of concern, doesn't it, that many of the political decision makers and authorities uh, try to look at these things purely through some sort of a secular lens, uh, whereas understanding these religious differences may be the key to being be able to bring any sort of resolution. Any thoughts here around uh, the deep religious dimensions that happen uh, that even are a foundation for things like this war? I have a lot to say on that particular issue, Neil. I was talking about it just two days ago at Understanding the Times. The Western world does not understand Middle East thinking. And they try to impose Western secular ideas on a region that is steeped in religion and theology. The fact that the secularists in foreign ministries can't think over theology are part of the Middle Ages, and we don't do those kind of wars anymore. They don't understand the Middle East and they don't understand the history, the heritage, and everything else. I would say, at the core is theological, and if it's not theological, it is definitely spiritual. Only the church, the Bible-based, spirit-led church, can understand, and only the Bible-based, spirit-filled church has the weaponry, the spiritual weaponry, to bring down strongholds. So yes, Part of the reason the Western nations make a hash of Middle Eastern policy is because, again, they don't understand the thinking, they're strictly secularists, they haven't a clue about the theological and spiritual ramifications, but the church can fill that void if it so chooses, and that's part of what I do, is helping the church be informed of these things. Well, the theological uh, ignorance uh, that happens in a secularized uh, authority uh, from governments, perhaps uh, in many Western nations, how do we connect that ignorance around theology to some of the things that have been developing 
in the culture war? Because I know you have some reflection on uh, the culture war on the shores of the Mediterranean too and how that may be affecting affecting this conflict uh, in Israel. Uh, So uh, from theology to culture war and how that might be affecting the things that are are unfolding right before our eyes. Neil, that's a very, very big topic. But in short, what we've seen in Israel throughout this year, this series of protests of judicial reform, it really is culture war on the Mediterranean because the judiciary in Israel is leftist, if not far leftist. They can torpedo any legislation that the Knesset offers and ratifies. They can do so on nebulous things like reasonableness, because Israel doesn't have a written constitution, so they go by what feels good, smells good, looks good. And on top of it, they appoint their own successors. (laughs) So (laughs) it's a self-perpetuating system that Netanyahu went to the electorate and got a mandate to change. And so when he seeks to change it, there's these protests with the funding that has happened even from international sources. Of course, the goal is that I think a lot of the protesters may not even know how judicial reform works, but they know one thing, that Bibi Netanyahu has been in office a long time and they'd like some regime change. And also, Israel has gone from a left-wing government in the previous government to a right-wing government with two firebrand ministers, Smotrich, and Ben Gavir, and people in Israel who don't want a religious orientation or religious dominance, they are reacting to it. So in what is happening in Israel does mirror the greater picture of the culture war, left and right and progressive versus traditional values people. It's it's all there in Israel too. But it, it, to me this year, it got out of control especially when the reservists said they weren't going to report for reserve duty. I thought that is sending the worst message to Israel's enemies you can imagine. And a few months later, we now are where we are. You mentioned early in our conversation how these sorts of internal culture war conflicts can weaken a nation or at least make its enemies uh, much more emboldened. Uh, the thought that culture wars actually weaken nations and creates enemies within as well as enemies without. Any thoughts here around that's how that's affecting Israel and even a cautionary a tale as to how uh, we ought to conduct ourselves with a culture war within Australia? You know, I have evolving thoughts on this because we talk about the culture war as a, uh, how should you say, a civil war. I would say civilizational, but it's a civil war that can affect a civilization. But in some ways, the way it's morphing now, especially since 2020 and the George Floyd riots in the United States and three years ago, is that it's really more of a revolution. And I mean, a Marxist kind of revolution from the left. And that's part of what I discussed in UTT is how is it after winning the Cold War that Marxism was alive and well in our universities and in our other institutions of culture and society. So 
it's now more of a revolution. And one of the appeals I made to people is to live the full, dynamic, spirit-filled Christian life and become counter-revolutionaries and counter-culturalists because that's where we're going to have some revival. And I believe that will happen even in Israel too. But it won't happen if we don't pray. And so we need to remember to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm 122, verse 6. And Jerusalem isn't just representative exclusively of the Jewish people. It's ultimately representative of all who know and love the Lord. Camille, just a few minutes remaining for our conversation. I mentioned earlier you're right on the tail. In fact, uh, you're preparing to fly out Tomorrow night you're in Perth where we're talking to you from today. Uh, You've just completed another Understanding the Times tour in Australia. How are your reflections on how the tour has gone? Look, the tour was well received. There were competing events occasionally here or there that tipped into the numbers. But it seems that after doing this for nine years now, And it's a wonderful experience. And I want to thank all my hosts and all that came along, wherever it may be across Australia. It was a very gratifying experience for me. And there seems to be more and more interest to understand the times because beyond just what affects an individual church or an individual family, people are learning to look beyond the fence and see that they have a role to play in making a difference in society and in the world. So I see more of awareness of that, and I see people coming year after year, same people and new people, to understand the times. And so it's a wonderful experience. A lot of good seed was planted, and I'm expecting a good harvest, 30, 60, or 100-fold in the coming days. Well, I know you work hard on an Understanding the Times tour. Uh, These can be gruelling, all the travel across multiple states. Uh, You're at the end of this Understanding the Times tour. We'll look forward to news of a tour again next year. And I know that listeners uh, will certainly uh, have their prayers with you as you return uh, to where home is for you now in the UK. Uh, Camille, uh, let me point listeners to Teach All Nations. The website is tan.org.au, tan.org.au. You can also get a hold of a whole lot of Camille's books through Vision Store at uh, vision.org.au. You'll find Vision Store uh, books like The Prophet from Babylon, Understanding the Book of Daniel or Today, Tomorrow, Understanding the Present, Ready for the Future, or White Horse Coming, Seven Keys to Understanding the Book of Revelation. And uh, any other books in the pipeline, Camille, just quickly? Well, I released two books on this tour. One is called God's Secret Place, Understanding Psalm 91. That did very well on tour. And then the second one, which is the, the newest book, is called The Power of Faith. Understanding the books of Ruth and Esther, how two ordinary women faced danger and adversity and became history makers through the power of faith. Wonderful. Uh, Listeners can get a hold of those books through Vision Store. Dr. Camille Majdali, who leads Teach All Nations. Camille, thank you so much for your insights once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil, and God bless Australia. 
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 